0: Alistair Frost is renowned for his intelligence in AI and working with his background at Microsoft.
1: It's everywhere. It's doing so much. It's looking after all of your stocks and shares and things like that that might be in your pension fund.
0: But he's going to be making conversations about how to keep up count with us today. But there may be a better way of living your life. And a really simple thing is... Hello, you lovely listeners of the Making Conversations Count podcast. It's me, Wendy Harris, and I've dropped my decibels a little because today's guest has just got the most dreamy voice and I could talk to him forever. But we're going to be talking about Buddhist terms like Shoshin, meaning the beginner's mind, and it refers to having an attitude to openness, eagerness, and a lack of preconceptions. I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. Because one of the things that I didn't realise is that Rishi Sunak is not handling our financial transactions. More like Russia Cynic. It's all AI. Alistair, you're going to have to tell us more. You are in for a sparkling conversation. Because I've got the How to keep up, expert speaker, Alistair Frost, joining me right now, Alistair. In the room. It's so good to have you here, Alistair. I know that I've been waiting for this conversation for a while because you're just such a busy chap. What have you been up to lately?
1: Oh, I'm always busy because I've got lots of different clients and I've got speaker bureaus who book me in to do talks and things like that. So I'm always juggling one job or another. But I, yeah, I've been busy uh, talking at events, but delighted to be getting off of Zoom and other platforms every once in a while and getting into a real room and uh, the stages are reopening and uh, I'm glad to be taking full advantage of that.
0: Well, it's something that we've all missed, isn't it? Is that a little bit of interaction?
1: Yeah, I've always been a huge fan of the online world because it does allow incredible things like this to happen. And, it, and you we should never take that for granted because it is a wonderful thing. But I think it also, the last couple of years, have shone a light on the importance of
0: what we used to take for granted. of being able. Oh, you're sounding just like my mum and dad or my nan and granddad now. You take it for granted back in the day.
1: But I think that's true. You hear it from audiences and they're talking about how nice it is just to see people and have a coffee and there's free biscuits and stuff like that. And and (laughs) just in the past, that was just, well, that was how the world was. So we just did it and... We went home at the end and we didn't really comment on it. It was not remarkable, but it's lovely that to some small extent, some of that stuff is remarkable again. And I hope people will continue to enjoy it for many
0: more years. I do believe that we've got a bit of a hybrid working, going to be staying as part of the course now, because we've, we've realised, haven't we, that we can be so much more productive and we've got all these different tools that can help us. And I think it does actually make for that sensation when you do get into the room with people is because you've saved it up as a special occasion and it's going to be remarkable.
1: Yeah, I think it's a wonderful thing. and It it is lovely that so many jobs, not all jobs, of course, but so many jobs can be done from wherever you happen to be and that we can take full advantage of that. And there's so many problems in society like the congestion on the railway system, for example, or the roads, you know, in during commuter time. There's things like that that actually, if we're good at this, we can resolve those things. We don't need to build more roads. We don't necessarily need to build more railways. We, we can actually just spread the load in a much more intelligent way because we have the option finally. The option's been there actually for probably 20 oh, years, don't but not everybody's been able to take advantage of it.
0: Look at choice when it comes to certain age groups at school. Will come out at different times to others. You know, the youngest have a shorter day, and that gives mom and dad, or you know, whoever, the the chance to pick them up and then go and pick the others up at a later stage. So that staggered working can be really helpful. And if you've got less people in the office, sometimes don't you find that you just actually get a bit more done without the distractions of it, or sort of heading in the funnel all at once? and then waiting for it to sort of settle down, you lose time.
1: Yeah, presenteeism is a, it's a disease. I mean, it's a nonsense. It's something of a, a bygone age where we feel like we have to be there and some bosses in the past felt like the staff had to be in the room. Some bosses still think that way. Um, and that's a sort of challenge for them to rethink their models of working. But, it, you know, if they want to attract the right talent to their organisations. So it's not just parents. Of course, parents is an obvious one because schooling and things is hard to coordinate. But whatever life stage you're in, you might be middle-aged and the kids have flown the nest, but you might have a hobby, you might be taking up sport, you might be spending more time on your health. And, and, and you can then fit those things in around your work in so many more ways. Oh, yeah. the opportunities are beautiful, if only we're sort of ready to seize them.
0: That's it. It's, it is about being uh, flexible of mind and nature, isn't it, Alistair?
1: Oh, that's a nice little phrase, isn't it? Yeah. I've just made that
0: up. I'm going to write that down.
1: <laughs> too, too late. I've got a copyright symbol next okay. Really,
0: You're so it's nice you lose? It's because you're so good at all this tech stuff. So tell us a little bit more about Alistair and what you do and how you help people. Because I got introduced to you and you were talking about AI and how AI normally sends me to sleep because it's one of those... Yeah. It's a well. It's just a topic that I think it's not very exciting, and and it can be very fear-led. In as much Mm -hmm. as that AI's going, you know, and the Hollywood movies, they're going to take over the world and replace us as humans, and then you know, Mm -hmm. us humans are going to be the slaves to the machines. It brings up those kinds of headlines, doesn't it? But actually, it can be our friend. So tell us more about that.
1: Well, AI. We met at a, a talk I was giving, and I use AI. I do talk about it, absolutely not from a fear point of view, but it's a good illustration of where we need to go. So my background is in, I'm a marketeer. I spent 10 years at Kimberly Clark, which is a company nobody's heard of, but they make amazing paper products like paper Andrix products and Kleenex. In and competition
0: with Moan Leaky, that nobody can say.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. So, um, yes, yeah, okay. so I spent i spent 10 years pretty much selling toilet rolls, Andrix. And look, you know, I rose through the ranks and I was a marketing director for those lovely, adorable Labrador puppies, which was fun uh, for a few years. And then I went to Microsoft, and that's where I really got into tech. And uh, I found tech interesting more as a tool to better myself, you know, selfishly, than, you know, wanting to be a technologist itself. But being surrounded for 10 years by these really smart people who could make things happen in ways that you couldn't imagine possible, they sometimes struggled to connect it to a a, usable feature for for human beings. and I found my role in there. And actually for the last 10 years, I've been running my own business where I help other companies to think about the future, think about how do they evolve and how do they embrace technology. And so to bring it full circle back to the AI question, I talk about AI because artificial intelligence, if anyone's thinking what the heck's AI, often referred to as machine learning. It's basically this thing where computers are given some degree of autonomy and some freedom to think for themselves rather than just following a set path that's been coded by somebody, they're they're allowed to use different stimulus to to figure out what what needs to happen next. But it's a really important topic for all of us because we've got it in our lives already, whether it's in...
0: This is what I didn't realise. Yeah. It's
1: everywhere. It's doing so much. It's looking after all of your stocks and shares and things like that that might be in your pension fund, if you're lucky enough to have one of those. The vast majority of the investment decisions being made today with your money, for your future, being made by a computer, it's not humans because it turns out those um expensive stockbrokers are no better at it than the uh, the average computer. So you can teach pattern recognition and artificial intelligence, can do a lot of things much better than human beings. But this is only the beginning, and it's going to go through an extraordinary evolution in the next few years. And so whether we like it or not, we need to think about that. We need to try to reflect on well, that's the world that I'm going to be living in, unless I can be Elon Musk and go and take off to another planet. I'm going to have AI around, so what's my relationship with that? How do I want that to play in my life? What's that going to do for me and my family? And, and off it goes.
0: Well, this is where we're, we're not just having a conversation with Rishi Sunak now. We're having a conversation with Russia cynic <laughs> I just oh. met that. Up. Um, good. <laughs> do you know, like that? Like that? How do you have these conversations with effectively computers that can't have a conversation with you? You know mm-hmm. it's only what we put into them, isn't it, that we can get out? It blows well, blows my mind. but
1: computers are kind of pretty dumb instruments, you know, but they they basically they process things incredibly efficiently. That's what they do using electricity. and they take you know sort of set patterns and they they can make sense of them, they can order them and so on. They can only sort of follow the path they've been given. That all changes as we go forwards into artificial general intelligence, which is the point probably within the next 10 to 20 years where computers are, they, they pass the Turing test. You really cannot tell the difference. If, it, if I could have a conversation with a computer and I would be struggling to tell the difference, I really would, you know, it would be that good. And then it would go on to artificial super potentially. And that's the point at which computers, before they get there, they enter this spiral of self-improvement because they don't need a computer, or they don't need a human being rather. To help them get to the next stage, they actually start learning from themselves and then they go off into places that we can't even conceive. And that's the possibility in our lifetimes. Most computer scientists will reckon that'll happen in the next hundred years or so. Some people say it'll never happen, but, you know, given the way that mankind evolves with technology, it's likely to happen for many of us in our lifetime. Certainly any child born today will likely live to see artificial superintelligence where there are computers that frankly have the ability to look down on us mere humans as if we we're a cat or a dog you know like a family pet
0: do you think that there's resistance for that to actually escalate because of that scenario of you know being looked down on as a superior race <laughs>
1: yeah it's got to be controlled like anything yeah. I mean, it's like the nuclear arms race that if it gets out of hand then it just destroys us all and it's the same with artificial superintelligence potentially Yes, if the robots, the computers get out of hand and they decide that they don't really need us around anymore, they could organise so to do that.
0: So it is about not sensationalising it, you know, like the Will Smith films that, that we've seen, <laughs> isn't it? It's about then looking at the practical applications that are going to be only for our benefit. So what will they look like? What sort of tasks will they be doing then, Alistair?
1: There are lots of good things already. I mean, I think, I think I always start from the point of positivity. There are lots of things that computers can do much more efficiently than humans. And you can eradicate lots of repetitive, low skilled jobs because we can get more out of human beings. People do low skilled jobs because we need people to do low skilled jobs. That's not because the people aren't capable of being skilled. It's
0: because they don't they've, they've really want to do the low skilled jobs either,
1: do they? No, they've very much so. So yeah. the, the low skilled jobs, a lot of them can go away. And that might be everything from sweeping roads to, I don't know, building buildings, creating construction, all sorts of things, manufacturing production lines, things like that. Those jobs can go away. That frees up more human capital to actually apply itself and do something useful. And And what we have to do is to try and focus on the utility that we can get out of those computers and work alongside them in a In a friendly relationship where it's beneficial for us and for them and obviously what we want to avoid and this isn't anything for you or me to have to worry about we want to avoid that point where the robots take over and destroy us all of course
0: (laughs) we want the robots to actually be part of our farming really don't we because that's that's an area that we need more
1: in everything we haven't got enough we haven't got enough food we haven't got enough money we haven't got enough water enough energy actually computers advanced forms of computing May hold the secret to that. You know, we have renewable forms of energy we've learned about, wind and sea power and stuff like that. But robots, when they apply their minds, actually, they might uncover something completely different. They might find a cure for cancer in the blink Let's of Just night. go get rid of the humans and that'll solve it. Let's <laughs> hope so not. Uh, yeah. Would, would cure us. cancer, I suppose, but that's not really the, uh, wouldn't be achieving the objective. We have to learn to live alongside these things. And I, I remember I was uh, in the talk I did, I talked about. My robot vacuum cleaner. Do you, I don't know if you remember me talking about that. Try to sort of get people's heads around this, and you can go out and buy fairly cheaply if, you, if it floats your boat, uh, one of these robot vacuum cleaners, and you set. There
0: are lawnmowers that do it as well,
1: and lawnmowers as well, of course. Yes. I, I, no, I'm, I'm English, so I have to have stripes in my grass. So I actually quite enjoy cutting the grass, but I don't enjoy vacuuming the floor. And we've got a cat, so there's always hairs everywhere. So it's a good to have this thing going around at least once a day. It's very basic artificial intelligence in that it uses LiDAR to, to map the room and to make sense of the space that it has. And then it goes off and it, it maps out the most efficient path to go and cover every square inch of the floor that's available. And that's all it can do. And it does it very, very well. When you get to artificial general intelligence, you've got to imagine this next phase where that robot vacuum cleaner is a parity with humans. So not only would it, do the vacuuming, but actually it might spot that there's a, a dent in the floor and that needs repairing. It might spot that actually there's a certain part of the floor that seems to get more wear and tear. Or it might detect that my daughter's been in the room, so it needs to do a super deep clean because it's almost certainly...
0: I'm going to just follow the cat around the all day.
1: Exactly. It could follow the cat around, but it <laughs> will learn from what it does. And actually, this is the weird thing you have to wrap your head around. Artificial general intelligence point in time, that computer might derive some rudimentary form of pleasure like we do from seeing the room clean, from having completed its task, so it goes to it, it starts to develop a more of an emotional state almost, so that it, it feels the reward of doing what it's doing, and that's a learning path that they're on. Of course, when you get to artificial superintelligence, we have no idea no. how you might clean floors.
0: Well, I'm just wondering why there's so many humans that don't get pleasure out of
1: the reward of cleaning <laughs> the floor. It's not the greatest achievement of the world,
0: <laughs> but, if, but if you're like
1: me and you you can put stripes in your carpet, it looks like a looks
0: Yes, like... there is that, you know, and you know when somebody's walked on it. Sort of fast forward then from the talk that I heard you out, where you were talking about the, the vacuum cleaner, and it did, it conjured up such an imagination and cartoons, you know, that I used to watch, you know, that I could actually imagine this happening. It, it wasn't just... A possibility, this could become a real reality yep. to me. Where are we today in what is coming about that we may not have noticed that is going to become more uh, in our fabric of life?
1: For almost all of us, and this is what I spend my time trying to help people with, we have no awareness really of how much change is coming. We don't also appreciate much change we've gone through because we get through it and then we've just become a new person. You know, remember when the pandemic happened, everyone started talking about the new normal and uh, which of course is a nonsense you don't get to a new normal and then just stop in stasis and not changing. It's just the next normal and the next normal and the next normal and it moves on, it rolls on. And so we're really bad at anticipating change. Many of us, those who work in the technology industry, it's the bread and butter. We're thinking about it all the time. But most of us are just drifting along and then a new IT system will come along at work or uh, working from home ability and we'll scrabble around and we'll figure it out and we'll get through that change. The pandemic's been great because it's taught us that we can change because everybody did. On, On a sixpence, we all suddenly started working from home. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't easy, but we all got on and did it and actually did a pretty good job of it. Many of us, we sort of got by and it was okay. So we can change. What we have to do though, If we want to remain relevant and useful in the workplace, to our families, in life in general, is we need to be thinking more about the type of change that we could bring into our lives. You don't have to be a futurist, you don't need a crystal ball, but you could be looking around and be more curious about the possibilities that exist today than many of us are. Because we live in our comfort zone of, well, this is my world, this is how I do stuff. Mm. And we don't always push ourselves to explore what else might be possible?
0: It's those opportunities of practical enhancement then, isn't it?
1: It's about recognising that your comfort zone, the sort of safe, easy life that you created for yourself, it's nice, it's cosy, but it won't exist in the future because things are going to change. Now, you have a choice. You can wait for change to happen to you and you'll kind of have to roll with it. Or you could be more proactive in your life, And try to explore those changes that would be beneficial to you and your family and the lifestyle you wish to have. So you make your comfort zone your discomfort zone, I suppose, and you deliberately go out to break some of the habits that you've fallen into because you recognize that those things ultimately are likely to hold you back because there will be another way of doing almost everything in your life. Now this can be exhausting because if you try, if you
0: if you really think oh gosh everything Yeah, like- I was just to say just break it down for us Alistair and give us maybe the yeah, top It'd be too three. much.
1: It was uh, Bill Gates when I was on Microsoft he's very fond of a Marshall McLuhan quote which was if something works it's obsolete. It was the flip side of the old saying which was if it ain't broke don't fix it. fix it. Now many people are still in that if it ain't broke don't fix it. So, you know, I live my life in this way. I sit on this sofa, I watch the telly, I go to bed, I drink some things, you know, whatever. I do these things in my life. Now, that's very comfortable and that's how you've made your life to be. But there may be a better way of living your life. And a really simple thing is, you might actually prefer sitting in a different place on the sofa, but I bet you never tried it. I bet you never thought, I wonder what's like sitting at that end We're of the Not side. watching the TV. Or, or actually, yeah. like, no, let's not watch TV. Let's actually play a game of cards or whatever it is. Yeah. You just don't know because you get stuck in this rut of this is my life and how it is. This isn't a big technology argument at all. It's just a recognition that the world is changing fast and you have an opportunity to change more about your life if you choose to do so. If you choose not to change things about your life and you actually choose to entrench yourself into the way you are in the set modes of thinking that you have built up of your life, then they are going to become redundant and obsolete at some point. And that's the point at which you might just say, I can't keep up. It's too much. I'm going to, retire or do something else with my life, and which is okay. That's fine. Not everybody has to keep up, but if you want to keep being relevant, to have meaningful conversations with the grandchildren, to play a part in society for a bit longer, then it is, I believe your duty to apply your curiosity to what else you might be capable of doing.
0: Yeah. Just because it's been that way all that time doesn't mean that it's going to be the only way of doing things, is it? Which is kind of what we've all just been through with like you mentioned there with grandparents, having to learn technology. This is where portals and FaceTime and all of those sort of video calls has played its part in keeping us connected, even though we're not together.
1: Yeah, and it's not. we've got to be careful here because it's not always an age thing, but that is a good example of what can happen here is that we get, as we get older, we get more set in our ways. That's quite a natural thing. It breaks my heart when I sort of have people who have retired and they don't know how to use a computer or they can't use contactless payments or they haven't got a smartphone, they don't want it and they've just got no space for that in their lives. And we have to recognize this maybe slightly younger generation, that's going to happen to us if we don't try to keep up. We have a responsibility to ourselves and to our families to try to keep up, to try the new things. And so that's an example of that thing is that You will reach, every one of us, as long as we live for long enough, we'll reach a point where we are, I'm going to say obsolete. It's a horrible word. But yeah, we're not really, we can't really make a meaningful contribution to society at all. Not as purposeful, yes. Yes. That's a pretty nice way of putting it. Yeah. Um, However, we can suspend that. We can push it back. And then we do that by being more curious about the world, by being prepared to try something and not saying, oh, I don't want one of those newfangled phones. Saying, okay, well, let let me have a look at it. Maybe I can Yes. It's a conscious decision. If it's really not for you, don't do it, but don't just cross it off because it's, oh, I don't think that's for me.
0: Well, it's like anything that you learn new, isn't it? It doesn't matter. If you're forced to, you have to, you're never going to be good at it straight off. It's going to take some sort of practice. But you've just made me think of a, a, another conversation that we've had on the show, actually, which was led from a kind of personal point of view. And that was about staving off dementia, Mm -hmm. Uh, using music, dance, drawing, art, you name it, the art of doing something or making something. You've just made me think, well, actually, technology actually needs to be be playing a part in that as well as either separately or integrated into that.
1: It's an inescapable part of our world, right, technology. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, and I always think of my mum, Lesser. She's in her seventies now. And of course, I'm the technical support. So she doesn't actually need to learn anything because I'm always at the end of her phone and I can probably sort out most things for her. But I also feel a bit saddened that she never had the courage to have a go earlier on in her life when her brain would have been more elastic. She would have been able to take things on. She could have done so much more, not necessarily with her life, but just to be freer, to be able to- To realise that- More fully.
0: I've pressed that button on the remote control and I don't need to do that next time. If I just press this button, I can get back to where I was. Yeah, you know? But that's it's, how we it's really simple things. But that's how we were when computer. I mean, I was. I'm of the era that my school had a computer room, and we were lucky if we got them to turn on and stay on and blink off, and then it was like, well, make sure you shut it down properly. And we were like, is that it? Is that what we did that? Com- <laughs> we woke the computer up to turn it off again. You know, it didn't actually do anything because it <laughs> never really worked. And you were scared silly that you were going to do something because it costs this vast amount of money as well. And, and it, it is. It's fear ultimately that will drive most of us, won't it, to avoid doing something.
1: Yes, there's a degree of fear. It always comes back to what is our comfort zone. And, you know, we don't, we don't want to do things that are risky, that are unknown, that could make us look silly. And so we tend to sort of stick to what we are comfortable with and uh, are quite happy to turn a blind eye to some of the other stuff or just turn away from it because it's not really our thing. Now that's okay, but with particularly technology and w- with, you know, new ways of being, of thinking, of doing, if you choose to turn away from those, you are electing to stay the way you are. And that may not be right for you. That may not be the best choice you can make. But I work with organizations to help them to think about change, to develop a more, a healthier relationship with change, to not see it as a bad enemy, a thing to be afraid of, but to see it as an exciting set of possibilities, something Adventure. that it makes the, it is, yeah. and change is going to happen whether you like it or not. So you might as well choose to make the change and choose which changes are better for you. And that's something that every organization I speak to can relate to. Cause some people yeah, busy pulling up trees, doing amazing stuff try and, you know, at the bleeding edge of whatever they happen to be doing. And there are other people who, quite frankly, would just wish everything would stay the same. And you can't work in an organisation with that mix across it. You need people to all be on board and say, okay, yeah, we'll give it a go. I don't need to be a technologist. I don't need to be an expert. But I've got to be open to the possibility that this might be better.
0: So when you're working with clients, Alistair, what typically are they looking to do
1: well this is the thing this mindset actually is very universal it doesn't really matter what the change is um somebody might be an organization might be thinking we need to change the way we run our pension scheme or we need to change bring in a new it system or uh flexible working of course has been a big thing recently hasn't it? it doesn't matter what the change is you need to take people with you. You need to move that thing together so that we can actually all benefit from it. And the resistance from the, some people and the reluctance to try things and to be able to move forward. That's the thing that I try to tackle by helping to people to see that uh, it is beneficial to try. If we don't like the outcome, we can always revisit it. But we can't just say, no, this is not right because that's what we think. Because that's the resistance that's going to stop us from being relevant in a few years time. So, technology and everything moves so quickly.
0: yeah so in lots of ways you're you're the voice that goes in to an organization where the boss goes, right we're having a new it system because we are and then you come along and go well actually we're having a new it system because this will mean this and this will mean that and everybody goes oh well that makes sense mm-hmm.
1: now it's putting it into a, a relevant context so that yeah. people can uh, feel comfortable Embrace it. It. That not just it. Well, the typical resistance to change is just, no, I don't like it. I'm not going to do it. And I'm going to make everybody's life as difficult as possible to try to keep things the way they are because I'm in my comfort zone. I didn't get where I am today by using newfangled IT systems. I know everything I do. And of course, it is experience that kills our curiosity because we learn stuff and we stop needing to learn new stuff because we seem to be quite successful doing what we're doing. And I go in and try to challenge that and let people yeah to to say actually you know what maybe you could be even more of a leader maybe you could even what if and and you start to show that to people and then they will open their eyes to it then you can make the change happen and of course just like going through the pandemic we will get through the change and before we know it's our next normal and all that hullabaloo about how bad the change is going to be was rather a waste of energy wasn't
0: it i can only say yes to that I've been working from home since 2010, so <laughs> yeah. everyone's going, oh, and I was like, mm, I've been doing this for years. You mm. know, In lots of respects then, it is about different people being onboarded with the ideas at different stages that sometimes, like you say, you just need to keep up.
1: Yeah, I, do. I think so. I, I try to break it down for people. I try to give them some sort of practical tips, some ways of thinking. I talk a lot about, uh, you may remember this one, I talk about Shoshin which is a Zen yeah. Buddhism principle yeah. of having a beginner's mind, Shoshin. And it's a very, very simple thing. It's because in the in the expert's mind, there are very few possibilities. So, like, oh, well, that won't work. We've tried that before. No, no, we can't do that because XYZ. Experts can see lots of reasons why things are not possible. The absolute beginner is like, Well, that might work. We could give that a try. And I wonder if this would happen. And and actually, sometimes that's deeply inefficient to have a beginner's mind you need the expertise as well like all of us can benefit there's a bit just left in over of, does just, this go? <laughs> just being prepared to say actually i'm going to bring a beginner's mind to this i'm going to be open-minded enough to explore any possibility because i'm fairly sure that i don't have all the answers and it's having that humility just to recognize you might be the big big boss but you don't know everything you're bluffing it the same as everybody else. So Shoshin is a that beginner's mind, it gives people permission to actually surrender their expertise and to bring more of their capacity to solving
0: the problem. Yeah, I remember that vividly because I'd not long done a Nikki Guy process. And okay. I just and it was like, oh, it's just hitting me, you know, from left and right and you know, hitting me <laughs> over the head and going, Look at this, you know. And I was just like, that's such a cool way of looking at things. It can really just boil it down to the simplest of view.
1: Yeah, and in Zen Buddhism, it's a principle that allows people who practice their religion to continually learn every day, to revisit things and to see it with the new eyes and to continually challenge their assumptions. But we can bring that same attitude to our work and not just get into the rut of thinking... Well, I've been here long enough that I can, I know what works. And the other one that I talk a lot about is uh, is the sense of wonder. And of course, the technology world has been a source of wonder for me for many years because I'm constantly astonished by what you can do and how, what's possible with, with new tools, with new robots, whatever it is. We lose our sense of wonder very early on as, as children because, you know, it's not really the done thing as an adult to be you know, impressed by simple things, but yeah, such sometimes a reconnecting with it. Also, it feeds into the Shoshin thing. It allows you to come to terms with how little you know about the world. And I always use soap and, and bubbles as a as an illustration of that in, in my talks. Soap is just magical. We all love soap now because of its ability to kill the coronavirus on our hands. So we've all used a lot more soap, I hope. In the last couple of years, than, than maybe we had. <laughs> you
0: know who you are. I, I know.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I was one of those people who was washing their hands long before it was trendy, but uh, I've kept it up. And but so, the reason. Happy the birthday to you. <laughs> That's it. Sing along now, Boris. Um, <laughs> so it, we uh, the soap works though. This is the magical yeah. thing: is at a molecular level, the molecule's kind of got two ends. It's got a hydrophobic end and a hydrophilic end. So hydrophobic means phobic, hydro water so it, it keeps away from water and hydrophilic means it attaches itself to water. It's drawn to water so when you put soap and water together the molecules the, the soap molecules if you like kind of one end attaches itself to the water and the other end tries to get as far away from the water as possible so when you blow a soap bubble it's magical because what you end up with is an outer layer of soap Some of the molecules are pointing inwards. The ones that are pointing out, the hydrophobic ones, they're trying to get away from the bubble, if you like. Then you've got a layer of water. And then on the inside, you've got another layer of soap. So it's kind of a soap sandwich or or water sandwich made soap. And that's why it works to kill coronavirus. Because, of course, the water hydrophilic end attaches to the water the other bit. It doesn't, it's trying to get away. It will attach to anything other than water. Oh, coronavirus. I love that or dirt on your clothes or on your body, and you know, in mud, whatever. It will attach itself to anything else and release that from your body. So it's a silly example, but how many of us have stopped to wonder, how does a bubble work? Always a bubble. But when you're a kid, they're great fun. You can pop them. But when you're an adult, you're not allowed to go around blowing bubbles and <laughs> popping them and jumping around for joy. But you still can, because when you realize the miracle of the bubble, the humble bubble, you start to think, wow, What else could I know? What else could I learn about the world? And that's another little bit of muscle that you've got in your curiosity.
0: I'd say that's an invitation, Alistair, for listeners to um, tell us what we should be learning about other than bubbles. But let us forever be blowing bubbles at whatever age.
1: Blow bubbles, enjoy life, have a sense of wonder about what's going on. Stop taking stuff for granted. Start thinking a bit more deeply about it. And then applying that. So curiosity is one thing, but we call it applied curiosity. So it's this point is where you actually, you know, you're making a deliberate, it's very purposeful exploration of the world because you think this area might be of benefit to me in my work, my life, my hobbies, whatever. And that's when it starts to bring rewards because you've gone beyond what you know into somewhere else and you found something better.
0: and love it. Thank you for sharing all that about what you do and how you do things and how people can keep up. It sort of speaks from an intellectual, emotional and spiritual basis, which appeals to me and I'm sure it will appeal to the listeners. We're going to carry on that conversation in just a moment. But first, let me tell you about my Power Up programme. An hour and a half with me and accountability later. It's by no means ever going to fix everything. But what it will do is it will allow us to find one area that's a key priority for you to implement straight away into your business and allow you to just see the other areas that you need work on. It's a great stepping stone into the 12-week building block programme. Just book a chin wag. Let's have a natter and let's see how I can help you. Are you enjoying it so far? One of the points that Alistair makes is how we keep up in a world of artificial intelligence. Well, of course, the answer is to be more human. And this so underpins my Wendy Woo tip today. When it comes to you speaking to strangers, picking up the phone, starting conversations online, I don't care where you do that, but just start... Just remember how you want to speak to people and be spoken to. And by that, it comes down to being human. So forget the scripts, forget the frameworks, do it your way. And if you need help, I'm only a phone call away. I ask everybody that comes on the show, for that one conversation that created a turning point. This is where I go, (coughs) drum roll, please. Over to you, Alistair.
1: Uh, My defining conversation, I reflect on it very often, so it's one that I should talk about with you, was I was at Microsoft. I'd been there for 10 years. I knew I was leaving. I was sort of on my And I was attending an event in London, a very good speaking event. I was interested in becoming a speaker, so I was listening to some speakers, and I chatted with a guy outside. If I remember rightly, he was quite drunk and he was smoking a cigarette. And I sort of said, oh, all right, what are you doing here? And he had a chat. And he, he was an entrepreneur and he'd started several businesses. And uh, so I explained, oh, I'm going to leave the corporate world. I'm going to, I might start my own business. And he said, all right, I've got some advice for you. Well, I was all ears. He said, there's only three things that you need to do to have a successful business. It's the sort of thing you want to do. And as I know, you've got many entrepreneurs on your in your listeners. So then this may be helpful for them. He said, the three things you need to do with this. First, you need to get the business. Then, secondly, you need to do the business. And thirdly, you need to get paid for the business. That's it. That's all you got to do. Mm-hmm. And he took another big drag of his cigarette, supped a bit more of his beer. And I was thinking, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, so it's pretty easy. Get the business, do the business, and get paid for the business. Then he said, no, no, I, well, no. The problem is, If you're sitting out on your own, you're doing your own thing. You will only be able to do two of those three things. Promise you. I'm like, why? Well, because they all take about the same amount of time, but you will die of trying to do all three of those things. You're going to need to get some help because you can't do all three of them. And this is where the clever thing was. I hadn't factored in after years in the corporate world, how much work you have to put in to get the business, to get a new client, to land that client, to convert it into something meaningful that, you know, that's good for both of you. I had no idea. Doing the business is all I'd ever done boss gave you a task or a job came in. you You were doing the business. That's all you do in the corporate world. And then the third one, get paid for the business. I, again, had no idea how long it can take sometimes to get money out of a client. And to you know, to close the job, if you like, and get the business, also all the accounting, the VAT, all of the stuff that you have to do. So get the business, do the business and get paid for the business are three equal things. And I get help on mostly on the last one, getting paid for the business. So accountants and My wife helps with the books in the business and things like that. Um, I generally, you know, try to focus on getting the business and doing the business, but they are equal things. And any time my business is going slightly off, you know, off the boil, it's not quite working. It's because I've neglected one of those two things. I've been focused on one or the other. And I find it so true. I, in my business have to put equal amounts of focus on each of those three things, and I need help to do all three.
0: There's a quote that goes, if you can accomplish everything you want in life by yourself, your dream is too small. It's nice. So I'm guessing that that is that, you know, you do need help.
1: And yeah, I think, and a lot of us are very reluctant to do that, particularly when you're starting out because, you know, somebody else's help is going to cost money. I'm here, I've got nothing to do. So I'll have a go. Being a jack of all trades is, is a disaster, really, I think for many business owners. If you need some photography, you'll always get better results from using a photographer. If you need some writing, you'll get better results from a writer. And so it goes on. And you have to really be prepared to work with other people and to use their skills when it will benefit you. It will always give you better results.
0: It's a misconception, isn't it, to think that you're going to be leaving a corporate world where there are the sum of all parts, doing all of those things, to so just being on your own and doing it. It's yeah. just, a, it, it's the same formula. It's just made up differently, isn't it? The landscape is just a little bit different.
1: I think my advice to any of your listeners who are in a business or running a business or thinking of doing it is to really be prepared to work with other people, try to collaborate, try to find smart ways of doing it. And really to focus, if you've got those three things, get the business, do the business, get paid for the business. Where's your heart at? What do you enjoy? Some people really, really love the admin and the accounting and the numbers and the the business planning and stuff and great crack on with that but you're not also going to be able to get the business you know you're going to need some help from some business development people or you're going to have to fill a social media team I don't know you're going to need somebody to handle some of the other aspects of the business and that was a hugely important conversation for me because it it made me realize that actually yes running my own business can be profoundly simple if I want it to be but I've got to go into it with the right mindset I can't do it all on my own. Uh,
0: And to to do all three, it's a stretch of your time and abilities, isn't it? So if you can get somebody else who loves doing the bit that you don't, then all three bits are singing.
1: The more time you spend doing the one or two things that you really enjoy, the more you bring in.
0: Right. So So you can afford to pay somebody to do
1: other stuff. It's a really hard lesson to learn um, in the early days, uh, particularly for someone like me who had been closeted in the corporate world for 20 years. Frankly, had it easy. And suddenly you had to do all of this stuff and work it out.
0: Yes, it is a big learning curve. So the one question I have to ask you then, Alistair, is did you buy him another pint?
1: I think I did, actually. I think I bought (laughs) him a bottle of beer and uh, we carried on the conversation. Um, But it was those early words, those first words that just echoed in my mind uh, that day and And many many years afterwards. And they've really stuck. And uh, yeah, that's well over 10 years ago I had that conversation. The best uh, and most succinct bit of business advice I ever got.
0: Well, I can't thank you enough for coming and sharing that with us today. It's been delightful. It's been full of sparkles, this conversation, as we promised. So if anybody wants to carry on the conversation with you, Alistair, where's the best place for them to find you?
1: Well, if they can spell my name, which even I struggle to do, they can find me online at alistairspeaks.com. And the problem is my parents gave me an Alistair that's spelled A-L-L-I-S-T-E-R. So alistairspeaks.com. Uh, and you'll find me online. If you can type in Alistair Frost on her website, you've got a pretty good chance of finding me as well.
0: Well, we'll make sure that we put all the details in the show notes and on our own website too. Do carry on the conversation with Alistair. Thank you for your time today, Alistair. It's, it's been, been brilliant. Good. It's been a joy. I don't know about you listeners, but I learned so much from Alistair in that conversation so full of sparkly insights into how technology is affecting our lives and how we can embrace the change that is always going to keep coming at us. Alice has put together a lovely PDF and that is going to be sitting in the show notes and on the website for you. So do carry on the conversation with Alistair if you've got any questions at all. And please, please, head over to that review button and tell people what you loved about listening today. We'll be carrying on the conversation in our bonus episodes every Sunday. But of course, only the followers will get notified of that. Until next time, when we're going to be talking to a guest has been podcasting for ooh, over 700 and something episodes and we're going to be making conversations about guest appearances count. Nobody was willing to pay the podcaster. You have dozens of these podcast booking agencies and I'm, I'm friends with a lot of them again and they stepped into a, a, a problem and they built the solution for the problem uh, but by doing that I think there was another problem that was generated. <music>